Hi there, Dickens Olewe here. Thanks for checking in. This interview is part of a 10-part special series about how the media in Africa covers politics, governance, and elections. With my guest, we'll explore the challenges and ideas of how journalism can support, not undermine democracy. So look out for the other interviews on your podcast feed. Let me know what you think about the series. Okay, here's the pod. Enjoy. Making the media as a melting point for all possible ideas and all sides to any given issue. But that doesn't mean that we pretend to neutrality. On In terms of democracy, we must come out in a strident form and say, we support open societies, we, we support democracy, we support human rights, and we support good governance. My name is Seku Owina. I work at the National Media Group as the head of legal. Uh, Seku, so you recently wrote an article to mark the 11th year anniversary for the uh, um, Kenyan's uh, constitution. The title of your article, Judiciary and Informed Citizenry, the Vanguards of Our Constitution. So the key word there uh, for me is informed. So has the Kenyan media, as the chief informer, done a good job? It has. I think it's, uh, the media is just one of the uh, few uh, that have understood what the constitution was about and have harnessed its benefits as best as it could. Um, maybe part of the reason I would say that is that one of the greatest beneficiaries of the constitution of Kenya 2010 in a direct sense, was the media. If you read uh, that, the constitution gave them, like, by revolution, um, expanded their space um, almost to their perfect wish list, if I could put it that way. The constitution created for them not just freedom of expression, created a guaranteed freedom of the media that is guaranteed, uh, used in the Bill of Rights, and then alongside it, uh, the right to information for the citizenry, which is to be played by the media as, uh, as an intermediary. So it's probably one of the few uh, categories of citizenry, if you can put it that way, who understood that this constitution was for their benefit. You, you would recall that the constitution of Kenya that is uh, 11 years now was not passed very easily. It was not something even at the time of its passing in which there was consensus. There was, mm-hmm. yes, it passed by about 67%, but there was a, a co-33% who thought it would not be a good thing for the country. So there are people who've sought mm-hmm. to use that as a way of clawback on the benefits of the constitution, saying, look, uh, this thing has given the citizen too much power, too many rights, the constitutional superstructure is too expensive, as a way of trying to, in a sense, banish its benefits. The media, to their credit, uh, they could have done a better job, but to their credit, I've kept the focus and said, look, this was good for us. It's good for the citizens. And uh, in that sense, I would say they are part of the informed citizen. Just listening to you there, you just reminded me of, uh, uh, of something that I had. Uh, Mehdi Hassan, um, a British journalist who used to work for Al Jazeera, now uh, MSNBC uh, in, in, the, uh, in the States. And he said something along the lines of, you know, journalists should have... A bias, and that bias should be uh, towards democracy. So I'm just curious where, if I mean, I'm curious, obviously, what you think about that. And essentially, uh, as well, what do you think uh, is the media's role when it comes to actual supporting democracy? Do you think that that uh, the media should come out publicly, consistently, 
to say this is our role to support democracy? Yes, they need to. Um, I tried always to create, and I, I sit here with journalists at the National Media Group, and we are very clear about our role. We are meant to be objective, not neutral on issues of public importance. And we understand objectivity as making, making the media as a melting point for all possible ideas and all sides to any given issue. But that doesn't mean that we pretend to neutrality. On, in terms of democracy, we must come out in a strident form and say, we support open societies, we, we support democracy, we support human rights, and we support good governance. We cannot pretend to be neutral. That, so where there's human rights violations, we sit and pretend to be neutral. That would not be the space and that would not be the media living up to its calling. Mm-hmm. And, and just going back to, to your article again, I mean, you, you talked about how uh, there has been this uh, campaign, uh, you know, sometimes organized uh, or sometimes very vocal, basically to undermine the constitution. You know, the, you talk about how some people say that it's an, the constitution is unrealistic, expensive, uh, you know, some of its elements uh, are foreign. And you also talk about the fact that you know it was, it's been 11 years but there've been at least more than 20 attempts to amend the constitution how should the media then platform the people who uh, are increasingly against the constitution or should it not give them the oxygen no i think you, you give them the oxygen but only to the extent that uh, it, it is true and it is credible so then what you do is you don't favor them you give them the oxygen but you also give uh, history, you give uh, governance uh, uh, supporters and supporters of human rights uh, uh, an opportunity to uh, counter those kind of claims. And even the oxygen that you give them, it must be limited oxygen within a scope where you tell them, okay, can you justify why in Kenya, for example, a free media is a bad thing for the citizen? Why would you want uh, to repeal that uh, human right provided in in the constitution? in the form of a challenge. You give them the opportunity, but you try as much as possible to point out inaccuracies and uh, outright uh, uh, misleading statements within that. So yes, you do not close out anybody. You respect everybody's freedom of speech. You respect everybody's opportunity, but you also insist that uh, your right to speak and your right to be on, on our platform is not a guarantee that we will cover everything you say and we will give cover to uh, inexactitudes or, or falsehoods, as it were. So then uh, you, you let that principle overcome um, uh, through fact, through fact finding and exposure, what would be true. So you give them the opportunity, but you also give them uh, within it sufficient rope and, and the responsibility on the part of the media to debunk clear untruths or challenges to long-standing principles. In your article as well, you singled out uh, people who you say are often uh, derided as uh, activists. Uh, you say that they have kept the flame burning by their constant call to the better angels of Kenya as dreamt in the new constitution. And I'm just interested in what your view is. You know, What can the media uh, in Kenya learn from activists uh, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, their role in, in, in basically uh, supporting democracy? First of all, the media must first stop that moniker. It's, it's a, a soapbox signal when you call somebody an activist. You're trying to say that, you know, this person is living off the fringes of society. What the media must educate everybody to do is the media must also take that position of activism. You see, because it's, when somebody is called an activist in Kenya, 
It's a dog whistle mm-hmm. for somebody who's unhinged, who's unrealistic or something. So what the media must do is to fight that as well and actually say, as somebody, most people would say, the media itself must be activist and the media itself must remind us that the constitution that we had is activist to that extent. So in order to play that role within that constitutional uh, rubric, you would have to be activist. And therefore say that if you are to be branded an activist, then the, the word activist must be used in the context of an exemplary citizen rather than the manner in which it's try, they, they try to do it as somebody who's off and uh, unnecessarily unrealistic. So that's how I would say it. let first the, money, the, the media change that conversation about activism by explaining that the person we call an activist is actually a model citizen that needs to be listened to and whose uh, course is the course of the country. I'm getting from your answer there that what you're also saying is that uh, language and framing is also important uh, when it comes to, to reporting. Could, could you just expound on that? Yes, it is. That's why uh, uh, when uh, the word activist, for example, is used in a derogatory sense, as I said, it's a dog whistle in Kenya for people who are unrealistic, okay? Who are thought to be, oh, these are people being uh, uh, trying to imbue foreign ideas into the country, trying to force their will on other people. The media must itself be conscious about that and say, look, this word is being used as a way as a derogatory term, and must then take care in ensuring that context and 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 and, and uh, essential value is given to the word activist, so that mm-hmm. you debunk it, you remove it from that ugly word, if I may use it, and claim in its space, and if need be, even say, uh, like I've, I've written elsewhere before, and say that the constitution itself was activist. So if you have to be a model citizen, you must be seen to be an activist. If you're less than an activist, then uh, you're not living up to the ideals of what the constitution expected of you. So that's why Mm -hmm. I'm saying we need to make sure that that word is not made a dirty word. We actually, to use the terms of the day-to-day, we sanitize it and say, look, it actually is a good thing to use so that activists can be used as a corollary model citizen. The constitution is obviously uh, very clear in its uh, uh, in its limits, uh, and you find a situation where you know a public official exceeds or tries to uh, go out of the bounds uh, as uh, expressed in the in the constitution. But then the the media finds usually finds language to skirt around that rather than calling it illegal or unconstitutional. That, that, that is true. That's why I'm saying that in that sense, the media too must be activist by being a model citizen in playing up its role. Because you see, within the constitution that we must understand, and I always explain, that the reason the media has been given this role and this uh, kind of uh, platform by the constitutional guarantee is because it is out of a realization that it also has corresponding responsibilities to the larger public. So if that calls for truth being spoken to power, it is the media which must do it. And when there's an illegality, it must be called so. There will be uh, casualties in the process of telling truth. There will be casualties in the process of living up to uh, the constitutional values that are expected of us under the Constitution of Kenya 2010. What are the uh, the model examples that the media can can learn from from citizens. At around the time I was writing this piece, Court of Appeal had just pronounced itself on the bill that sought to amend the Constitution of Kenya. That's the Constitution of Kenya Amendment Bill 2010, what we call the BBI Bill. And 
This was taken up by ordinary citizens who simply went to court and litigated this through uh, mm-hmm. young lawyers, essentially, uh, and placed this before the court and challenged the court to place the citizen at the center of the constitutional dialogue and the attempts at amending the constitution. And the court agreed with them and established what we call basic structure and said, look, there are certain parts of the constitution that cannot be touched by any other arm of government bar the citizen himself exercising what it called constituent power. These are ordinary citizens simply exercising their rights to defend the constitution and therefore their own rights as it were. That's an example, they, whatever can say that, look, simple citizens going to court, finding lawyers worked for them, largely pro bono, go ahead and do this. How about we as media who have audiences in the millions in this country? What can we not do if we decided to do things right? So I think those are examples that we can use to challenge ourselves. The bulk of assaults on the constitution, those 20 amendments that have been sought and several other bills and and legislation Mm -hmm. that have been passed by parliament that have been declared unconstitutional have not been at the at the behest of of of, of uh, anybody else other than the ordinary citizen who takes them to court and challenges them so it then shows that if the ordinary citizen can take that kind of responsibility on itself why not the media that's that's the example that i would i would say that look the ordinary citizen is doing very well in trying to keep uh, everybody else's rights protected what can we do mm-hmm. within our space and within the scope of what the constitution gives us as media practitioners, as media owners, and as media houses generally to do the same. So yes, we have plenty of examples. The, the citizens have been models. Some of them have, as you have said, but there are also probably a majority uh, who have elected people into uh, into office uh, who fall short of ex- expe- the expectations uh, as required uh, by the constitution, especially when it comes to the uh, integrity chapter. Uh, I'm interested in your view on whether the media as well shares equal blame to these bad political choices. It could be. I, I, I wouldn't think that's, that's blame that must go throughout the country for every citizen. Say, look, we have instances where we have not lived up to the constitutional expectations, and that is for the citizen and to all institutions under the constitution. And certainly the media, yes, we could have done better, as I said, in certain respects. Uh, and there's still room for us to even do better. So in, the, in that sense, I agree with you that uh, the media must take some of that responsibility. Next year, there's a big election. And I am really interested in your opinion. Uh, you know, you are embedded uh, within the newsroom. You're not a journalist. You're from the legal profession. And, uh, you know, you basically have a ringside view uh, of, of just how, uh, you know, the media organization you work for is preparing for elections. And, and I'm sure you very much well briefed on what's happening um, uh, across the country as far as the newsrooms are concerned. Uh, but, you know, what would you say are some of the kind of uh, best tips that you would give uh, to the media, or uh, to journalists, uh, as they prepare uh, for next year's election. And, and this is in the context of uh, reporting in such a way that does not undermine democracy. Yes, that, that's a good question, uh, Dickens. But uh, let me say, let me speak from where I sit. What we 
try to do is, and what I would tell the media, I never advise them, they're the experts, but what we do internally where we are at Nation is to make sure that we learn from the past. We have very good lessons to learn from in 2017, um, and we have 2013, and we had an election that went very bad in 2007, 2008, and we make sure that the mistakes that we as media made are not repeated. Two, we make sure that we do not ourselves uh, overlook anything. We must be if need be, point us to the risks, keep bringing the country back to its better angels, as we said. We look and we tell people, look, uh, we do not think that this is going right when we see certain things going wrong. If the country begins to boil, like one of the things you would see, and to be fair to the media in this country, we've been saying for quite a while that uh, we started our political campaigns too early. You know, we, we, we almost went into political campaigns from 2019, and we said, look, this was too early because then by the time we get to the actual election season, then the country is so heated and, and, and uh, it is not good for us. Uh, so that's one thing we have to keep pointing. We have to keep pointing um, the risks, risk factors, play the canary in the mind. When we see hate speech, we call it out. Uh, and in certain instances, we simply don't cover it. We give blackouts to them. We have these things and we... The truth is we try to make sure that repeat, uh, mistakes are not repeated and that this election, we end up being better prepared for it than we are on the other one. So that's what most of the media are doing. Uh, we have the media council to its credit, giving us guidelines on how to cover elections. They've started working on it. So they give some framework and say, look, let's try and do this so that we also give it a collective approach because then that makes everybody else uh, stronger if we have a collective approach and a collective processes by which we cover the elections. It makes uh, the election uh, coverage a little more credible. After elections are won, you know, uh, the governance happens and the media's role is just as equally as important as uh, covering a high-stakes election. W what's your view of what can be improved? That, that's a, a fair point uh, where probably we have not done as well as we are. There, I think, there's an Achilles heel. One of the things we must do, it, it, it looks to us like we get... Uh, exhausted after the elections. We treat the election merely as an event after the election and uh, possibly a declaration of victory. After the inauguration, we go back to life as normal. One of the things that we may not have, we do not do too well, but we are conscious of, and I think the, the nation, for instance, is conscious of, we say, look, uh, the winner, let's call him the winner, or the administration that gets elected, makes certain promises in the process of elections. Okay, we can live with that poetry, as they say. We campaign in poetry, govern in prose. We now need to go to the prose side of it and begin to tell them, okay, you made this and that promise, you made this and that promise. Where is it going to be fulfilled? And bring timelines to ensure that there is some credibility in campaigning and there's a, a link between the campaigns and the administration. That is something we are conscious of and you will be seeing more of, uh, hopefully after the next election. And even as we approach it, we begin to tell them that, we may even be demanding timelines from them, saying, okay, you insist you will do this and that for the economy, you will do this and that in housing, you will do this and that in infrastructure. Give us timelines and then uh, we assess them against that. There, I agree. Uh, it ought not to stop there. 
So we will follow them into the administration and see how that happens. This interview is part of a 10-part special series about how the media in Africa covers politics, governance, elections, and the impact this has on democracy on the continent. If you want to subscribe to my podcast, just search for the Dickens Olewe podcast on any of the main podcast apps. Let me know what you think about the series. Reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is at Dickens Olewe. Until next time, bye-bye.